Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey there, leaders, and welcome back to another episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. Today, super excited to have Shana Weisinger here on the show from Repurpose House. Shana, thank you for hopping on here today. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, um, we've known each other for a while, and it's been really cool to see the journey of what you've done with Repurpose House and where you've built it up to. Um, But for everyone on the show who doesn't know who you are and what Repurpose House is, can you give us that kind of quick 90-second overview? Yeah. So my background is video production and strategy for B2B businesses. So when I was doing that, I realized that long form content needed to be happening more with my video production clients. But also while I was doing that, it kind of turned into podcast episodes like video podcasts, but in studio and stuff like that. One of the things I was offering were these tiny repurposed clips of that podcast episode. It's like one minute to two minutes, things like that. Captions, the whole deal. And while I was trying to sell that package, the whole video production piece of it people were getting really excited about just the repurposed assets. And so I realized I did some research and there wasn't a company that was just doing that. Like you could, there were some companies that did like a full fledged marketing type, you know, strategy and you're going to pay thousands upon thousands of dollars for that. Or there were some that you were hiring freelancers or doing it yourself. There wasn't just a company that just did that one thing. So um, it started off actually as podcast memes because we were only doing podcasts. And we realized that the common denominator there was marketers. So it was marketers who were using podcasting excuse me, as an arm of their social media strategy. And we realized, wow, we can repurpose anything then because my background was marketing. So it's like then then it turned into we're going to repurpose, you know, text from blog posts. We're going to repurpose audio from podcasts and any type of video that you can imagine. So um, it's we launched it as Repurpose House about two and a half years ago as podcast memes in August that same year earlier. Um, But then once we evolved into Repurpose House in November, it just kind of went crazy. That's awesome. And and so, yeah, again, just a little over two years old and for um, just for context, you know, like whatever you're comfortable sharing, like where are you guys at today in terms of maybe like customers or revenue or anything like that? Yeah. So we, it's funny cause we just increased our prices. We started to see the value of some of the stuff we were doing. So we're, uh, we're in that little transition space, but, um, our MRR is at 114. We saw yesterday, 114,000 a month. Um, and our trailing 12, we finally hit that million mark in 12 months. So we're pretty, pretty psyched and our growth percentage month by month is just crazy. So it's been humbling and very exciting to see after just two and a half years of all the chaos. That's awesome. And um, I'm curious to maybe like, what was the kind of journey that led from you going from, I guess, you know, having, you know, doing video as an agency to really starting to build something more scalable? Like what was the kind of path that led you down trying something different here? 
Yeah, it's interesting. So um, with a video production company, I was primarily doing strategy video, right? Like a lot of agencies will be approached by a company and be told, we need this eight minute video that talks about how awesome we are. And the difference between me and them was I would tell them no, because I'm like, nobody cares about how awesome you are. Like you need to have a journey <laughs> of video that takes people to the point where they actually care, but like what kind of content are you going to give them before that, right? So um, one, the reason that I, I like to talk about that piece is because that isn't normal for a lot of video production companies, or at least it wasn't at that time. And so I was a huge piece of the puzzle of every single client relationship. Like there was no way for me to not be actively engaged consistently. Like for a while there, I slung the cameras and did the whole setup. For a while there, I did the post-production. Even when I was able to though delegate that kind of stuff, I was still roped into every single client, all of their strategy, like everything. And so um, I got to a place where I was just burnt out. Like I ended up in the hospital because of stress and like I had an anxiety attack, didn't know what it was, but I was just overworked and I didn't know how to manage it because I was getting amazing clients, tons of clients, but there was just no way to keep my head above water. So I actually ended up getting hired by Russ Perry of Design Pickle to go to the Philippines with them to film their testimonial videos for their existing staff um, because they couldn't hire fast enough at that point. So we, I went to their, their big, um, every year they do like an annual event for the staff. I went, I filmed a bunch of stuff and I just fell in love with that culture and hearing the stories about how his company had changed their lives because they went from this gig mentality, not knowing if they were going to get work the next day, the next week, whatever, to a stable work environment, you know, like work-life balance, eight to five, Monday to Friday. And just hearing their stories was like made me emotional. So I actually had a sit down chat with him. We were walking to coffee and he was like, Shanna, what you do is awesome, but it's not scalable. And I like, there's no way that you can grow this past a certain point because you're the bottleneck. And I was like, well, yeah, I know, but what else do we do, right? And so <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Okay, solve my problem then. <laughs> so um, at that point, I realized, I'm like, you know what? I need to just build something that's super savvy, that's scalable. It's just one thing that's on repeat. You can document the SOPs and they can be repeated by not me, but by anybody who like I can train to do it. And so originally it went from the video production piece to just video podcasting. So I'd have a studio and we knew how to set up the cameras. I had all of the SOPs documented really, really clean. Um, and then, like I said, the processes and the post-production, things like that. I tried to make it as simple and easy to follow as possible. And then, you know, as I had mentioned before, once um, I realized I tried to keep selling that, like, yeah, I had clients. That was fine. But the big pull I just kept hearing about was like, we don't care about the other crap. Like all we want are the repurposed assets. And I was like, <laughs> this is a thing. So then it turned into, well, how do I create really clean, like, you know, duplicatable, duplicatable, du duplicatable. I don't know. Anyway, a copy and paste SOPs for that kind of process. And that's where, um, where I really started to see scalability. That's awesome, man. I'm curious, you know, with kind of scaling this up and building that, um, what were some of the, the bottlenecks or just the pain points you guys hit as you started to grow? I know there was uh, a lot along the journey from just knowing you. And so maybe what were some of those kind of key inflection points where uh, things broke along the way? Yeah. One thing that we had to kind of figure out pretty early on was what are we able to outsource to the Philippines? And when I say outsource, like they were still full-time employees. Like originally we were kind of doing um, contract labor and we realized that they need to be full-time and that we need to be committed to them so that they'll be committed to us. So really investing in the talent made such a big difference. Um, that was a huge part of it. 
we were struggling on how to like what we could and couldn't send to the Philippines. So for instance, we ended up outsourcing to rev.com to do all of our captions. We tried to do it internally. It was a hot mess. It's just our clients weren't happy. We weren't happy like it. So we ended up learning to outsource that. We actually, since then now have a new team internally because we figured out how to do that. And that team is just starting to grow. We're transitioning out of that, but we're still utilizing the AI version of Rev. Now we're just scrubbing it afterwards, which is what they do anyway. So that piece of the puzzle was um, interesting to kind of figure out. And then how to hire that, that we have it super locked in now. It's awesome. But it was kind of a struggle to figure out like, how do we get the talent? Where do we find them? We started on Upwork trying to get full-time employees. So we would interview them. We would say, hey, listen, it's going to be a full-time job. This is going to be your salary, this and that. But they weren't comfortable with the thought of having one source of income because they were just so used to I need to have all of these jobs going in order to, you know, maintain my lifestyle and also the security of that platform. And the issue we ran into there was that they charge a lot of fees. And we're like, we're not going to reimburse you for the fees. We're going to pay you what we want to pay you, but we're going to pay you outside of Upwork, which is against the rules. So don't do that if you really want to stay on Upwork. But <laughs> we originally were recruiting from there. And we just, it was like beating our heads against the wall. We couldn't get candidates to just want to come off the platform and work full time for a company. So we had to then change our recruiting tactics, and we ended up moving to um, Indeed and paid for ads just to go out. And that's been unbelievable. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, again, all those like little nuances that you never quite know, but there's always something that breaks, I think, is always the challenge. And it's kind of the, it's like the whack-a-mole of what's going to break next. So that's I know. life as well, an entrepreneur. One question is, <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't mean to talk over you. One question no, no, I go ahead, go ahead, asking, go ahead. Yeah. One question I've started asking recently a lot to now our team, like we have a leadership team of seven people, some of them in the Philippines, some of them US based. When, like we're building this new rev team. And the questions I keep asking are like, what are the problems we're going to run into? Like what's going to break here? Let's think about that part so that we can get ahead of it. Not like let's wish for the stars and hope that this works. Like, no, let's be realistic and try to look at, okay, well, if this happens, how's it going to break? And then try to build it like obviously you're going to run into what you're going to run into, but if you can at least ask everybody, how do you see this not working? Let's fix it before we get there. Um, I, it brings up a lot of really interesting insight because I'm not everywhere. I don't want to be everywhere. That's the reason that I created something scalable. So I have to trust and lean on the people who I've entrusted these positions with to tell me how things are going to work or if they're not going to work very well for different reasons and just be humble enough to take their their thoughts and their opinions because we put them in that place for a reason and, you know, create processes accordingly. Yeah, that makes sense. And so one of the questions I have is like, you know, with the growth that you guys have, um, have had so far, I'm curious, like what have been some of the, the big channels? I know you guys have been doing a lot with digital marketer I've seen yeah. and kind of other like associations or things like that. So I'm curious, maybe what have been some of the biggest growth channels for you guys? Yeah. Um, initially it was actually the, uh, digital marketer traffic and conversion summit. That's when we kind of launched to the marketing world, if you will, a couple, two years ago, it was in February that year. And that event like skyrocketed us. We got the attention of like Roland and them, and they ended up helping us in introductions and stuff like that. But just the people that came to the booth, that that was huge. And then that became a word of mouth kind of thing. So that was kind of our kickoff point, which was amazing. And then this year when we were supposed to have all, or last year, we were supposed to have all the events. We were like, blast. But um, without the events, <laughs> we've learned that um, we have this really amazing cold outreach program that we've scaled pretty rapidly. So it's email, which is crazy. But like our 
email to lead ratio is really good. And our um, email to conversion is really good too. We just have now honed down on who we target. We've gone into like making sure that everything about that, that potential client lines up with them being a good fit. So that's things like they've already created long form content. They are already posting on social media the way that we would. We'd basically just come in and we're like, hey, we know that this sucks. <laughs> do you want to outsource this? You're doing a good job, but you could do a better job. And that seems to work really, really well for us. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. We uh, over on the lead cookie side, we've just really gone deep on like, let's do really great, like in-depth research. And it's amazing how great cold outreach can actually work if you really target the exact right people versus I think a lot of people just do it the lazy, I'm going to source a list of marketing directors and just blast them all. But it's like, no, you actually put time and energy into the right list and like it can, it can work really well. Yeah. And we've, we've seen that. I mean, we saw when we weren't looking at the right lists and we saw kind of, and also like, keep in mind, if you're targeting the wrong people, you're wasting your time if they are interested. So we would have these, like we have a, a, a digital strategist slash, you know, salesperson. Um, we have her on calls and we, if we haven't vetted them and reached out to them, if you go to schedule a call on our site, we put you through a type form where if you aren't already doing things that we need you to do, if you aren't willing to spend the money we need you to spend, it spits you out and says, here's our courses. Like, here's where you can learn stuff in your price range. So if they're not willing to put on that form that they're at least going to spend $400 a month, then it's just not, it's not worth our time because now we're spinning our wheels for no reason. And I'm curious with your guys' approach, like, are you guys ever doing to kind of win customers or stuff like this? This may or may not make sense at like the, the $400 price point, but are you guys ever like doing the tactic where you go like repurpose part of their blog posts and then share it with them as like part of your outreach? Or have you guys done anything kind of creative like that? Like with like some systematized spec work or anything? We did for a little bit, but it was a lot of work for little reward. So we were kind of like now what we've started to do um, since we have like a whole team of curators that manage also our own internal like social media stuff, instead of just repurposing our own content. Now a part of their social media like workup is to find great quotes by like good influencers that are potential clients and fits. So we're kind of incorporating it now, not really as like a, like a, an outreach strategy. It's kind of like a hybrid, like it works for our social media because the quotes and the clips have to obviously work for our audience, but also we're tagging and trying to get the attention of them in addition to it. So we just started implementing that a couple of months ago again, but before we were trying to do it as a form of outreach and it was just we needed to really put our time and our energy in like a bucket that we knew would work because we didn't have the resources to expand that far. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I'm curious, you know, when you're looking at companies to repurpose these into kind of social assets, what are some of the, I guess, kind of best practices or things that you're seeing as ways to companies to get um, a lot more distraction or everything out of, say, let's focus on podcasts, because I guess that's what I'm most curious about. Like, how do you... Sure. You know, beyond just, you know, I know you can make the social videos and quote blocks. What are you guys seeing as some of the best uh, approaches to get the most traffic and, and leverage out of those? Yeah, honestly, it's just as, as much as you can put out there, knowing what the algorithms are favoring and utilizing that channel. Like Instagram is like the nightmare of start doing something really well and then they change their algorithm. You got to do it a different way, right? So for instance, <laughs> like on Instagram, reels are now what the algorithm favors, where before it was IGTV, which made it easy for us because you can schedule IGTV, but you can't schedule Reels or you couldn't for a while. Um, so it's like knowing what the algorithm favors is super helpful. 
cross promotion is huge. I know that you and like your team do a lot with um, interviews like this. And that's good because mm -hmm. obviously like you don't want to just post stuff on your channels. You want to post stuff on your channels that other people who were involved in the content will share because that's going to expand your reach and your audience massively. We like to create a very simple call to action. So like ultimately you want them off the platform and onto your site, right? Where you can now pixel them and retarget them and do your pop-up, you know, lead gen thing. So being savvy about how you get them off of the platform and onto your site. So we'll use like bit.ly links consistently on the content. So we'll actually burn it onto the video and it'll be like bit.ly forward slash marketing video. I don't know, something simple for people to remember because they're not going to be able to click it in most cases. Mm -hmm. That's been super helpful, but ultimately it's being very, very it's just being there all the time and being strategic about when you're posting on your platforms. We did a case study with one of our clients and they took, it was like seven assets from one episode they would do. And it was just one two minute clip, but just formatted all the different ways. And they strategically posted it across all the platforms. They staggered it over the course of a week. So instead of hosting the same thing at on Monday at 10 o'clock on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, all that, you have to stagger it over the course of the week at the appropriate times so that people are seeing you consistently, you're constantly showing up. And then if you can do multiple two minute clips from a podcast episode each week, and you're just everywhere all the time, then even better. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's, I think the comforting, it's comforting to hear, I guess that uh, <laughs> I think we're hitting some things there, because it's, I actually had someone literally message me today on LinkedIn, one of the guests from our podcast. And he said, he's like, wow, I'm amazed at like how much leverage you guys have gotten out of that one interview. Just like the promotion keeps coming. And it's a really cool thing, I think, from like the podcasting angle, too, where your guests are just like, wow, this is awesome. And you give them all these assets and they share it out. And like there's I feel like there's so many ways to use these, especially in like a, an interview framework where you just give your guests all of these assets, like, cause you know, it's like, how often do you get a professional video of yourself for a lot of people that's never. And so you make a cool video or audiogram and they're super excited to, to share that stuff out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. One thing I would say is try to get them to share from the video on your platform, because then you're getting more reach. Like obviously you can give them the assets. Um, we've learned that the less you give them to do, the better. So like an email with the link to the Facebook post or a link to the LinkedIn post. Hey, here's the link to your post on the platform. Please share, comment, all the things. Like the more steps you give them, the less likely they're going to actually take action on it, especially as you get guests of a higher caliber. They're not, they don't care. You know what I mean? Like they're excited, but they, you need to give them one thing to do and that's it. Not a laundry list of like, Hey, here's these, you can post these. They send them to their team sometime, but try to make it as simple as possible for them to share your content so that people see like, will go to your page, like your page, consist, you know, consistently follow more of your content. Yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a great insight there. I love that piece. And so, you know, for companies as they're like going through this, you know, it, it is something where I think a lot of companies, I guess I've struggled and so maybe like, how, how do you guys actually handle this? Or when a company works with Repurpose House, what does that actually look like and like who is the ideal company for you guys so i think you guys have an interesting model for someone who's the right fit there yeah thanks so ultimately like you have to already be creating content like we're not a content creation company we're repurposing only so you're already creating content you get the value of putting it on social media essentially we have like two different kind of options we have a like a done with you for people who have a team or they want to actually go through their content find the clip, go into our ticketing platform, let us know what the headlines are, all that fun stuff. And then our team will take like pre-created templates that were already done for your brand, 
repurpose them and then spit them back out in a Google Drive folder. And then it's like, here you go, take your stuff and do what you got to do with it, right? We actually like six or eight months in realized that that was great, but there was a huge market of people who just didn't want to do anything. They were like, take our money, just do the thing, right? <laughs> like, I don't want to go through my content. <laughs> I don't want to hear myself talk for that long. Like, I don't want to do it. And I, and I don't want to post it to my platforms either. So we initially started adding content curation, which we have a US-based team who's all like digital marketer certified. And they'll go through your content. We'll have like an agency style meeting, figure out what type of content you're creating, how often it comes out, where it lives. Can we just go through the blog as we want to? Like, and that's what we do every day. Or is it like a podcast episode that launches on Tuesdays that we need to have assets for the Monday before or whatever? So we'll know in advance what to go curate, create really savvy headlines. They submit it on the platform for the client. Um, and then we take it as far as we can also post on all the social media platforms as well. Obviously, there's limitations based on API for some of them because we use scheduling platforms. Um, but anything business related, like a business Facebook page, um, a business Facebook group, LinkedIn businesses, um, Instagram, stuff like that, like we can go ahead and schedule and post the assets also and create the copy that goes with it. So really, it's like depending on how much or how little you want to do, as long as you have the content, there's a solution there. That's awesome. And it's cool to see how that's evolved since the early days where I know, I think when we were, we, or I was a customer early, early days and it was only the, like you pick the timelines and everything like that. And it's cool to see that you guys evolved where I think the market, I guess, wanted you guys to go and kind of pull out the full service solution. I'm curious how much of your business is the full service now? Yeah. So the curation piece took off pretty quickly. I, I just created the systems and processes for the social posting piece in the, in fa the fall. I think like September is when it launched. I I can't even give you a percentage, but I know we call it the elite solution. So like content elite. So it's either on the pro, which you do like one a week or five a week on our influencer. But I see them come through all the time on our email. So I know that we've got a good chunk of them. We've got 150 clients right now. And I want to say at least 20, 20 to 25 of them are on an elite or some form of curation at minimum. I would like to say more than that, but I know for sure we're about there. Nice. That's super, super interesting uh, and cool to see just how that's evolved. Yeah. And those clients, ultimately, the ones who don't want to touch it are like their longevity is great. They aren't like they just they know it's on autopilot and they've crossed it off their list. And we don't really hear from them unless there's some sort of random weird problem or a change. So those kind of clients are awesome because they're they pay the most. They give us the least amount of grief. They're very excited to just cross it off the list. And it's like, yes, please. More of those. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, this is the stuff like no one wants to think about content repurposing, but every marketer knows it's just super valuable and it's going to just fill up the social channels and it's yeah. going to, it'll make an impact. So I love that. Yeah. yeah. One of the questions I want to actually go back to something earlier, you guys mentioned that, you know, traffic and conversion as the event and then just kind of, I guess, being tight knit with that association was a big part of it. I'm very curious cause we've actually started to do some association partnerships as well. I'm curious cool. What made that a success and what would you recommend for others that are, say, going the route of partnering with like an association like that? Yeah, you know, ultimately for us with the digital marketer piece, we I don't know that we get a ton of like clients who come straight from DM Lab into our platform. We did like right when we were added as a service in their their DM lab. Um, I think for us, it's credibility that is helpful in, conver in conversions because they're kind of the mecca of all things marketing. And the fact that they're on our website, my face is on their content, 
we share that stuff constantly. It's a it's a nice little like, oh, these guys know what they're talking about kind of situation. Whereas initially it was like we met people at that event. Like we got the attention of the folks at that event. They became a client. Now we can say like, hey, these guys trust us. You should trust us. I just did a training for them in Austin. We got some clients out of that. When we do like one-on-one style training, stuff like that, we'll get, you know, clients out of it. But I really just think it's it's a it's a brand authority type recognition for mm-hmm. us with them. That's awesome. I remember whenever I think I got the email um, from Digital Marketer with like your face on it, I was like, oh, Shana's pro now. Shana's gone pro. So. She's legit now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an exact example of but, what that is, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, okay, but, like they're cool people and we like goofed around the whole time and all of a sudden now I know what I'm talking about. It's just funny, like the association, right? <laughs> I totally get it. It's like you just build these and then someday everyone like, but like to so many people out there, like it's just like that. But it's it's interesting to see someone before and after this influencer like journey. And it's just like, right. oh, nothing. You're really the same person. But now because you've had your face endorsed by some very credible people, everyone looks at you different. And it's a weird thing. That, it's, so weird. it's hard to perceive the actual ROI of that, but it is true. Right, right. I still trip on everything. I tripped on everything there. So it's like, well, there's no difference. I just now talk <laughs> in front of different cameras, I guess. It's the same stuff. Nice. I love that. And so I'm curious, you know, um, you know, I guess looking at this, what are maybe some of the other just kind of, I guess, challenges that you've hit along the way or just anything along this journey? Any of the other kind of like roadblocks that you've hit on the path? You know, getting out of my own way in certain things and just biting the bullet and paying for things that I know just need to get paid for, like accountants. You know what I mean? Stupid stuff like that where I'm just like, (laughs) I'm not best served in QuickBooks. Like I'm not helping anybody. I'm making this process longer. I'm driving myself crazy. Like actually investing in different types of services that will make your business more efficient, that will get you out of being the bottleneck, stuff like that. What was great about this year is we had some massive growth and some funds to be able to do things like that. So it was a lot easier to pull the trigger than it probably would have been the year before. But being able to say, hey, listen, it's worth taking a hit on the net income to, you know, not want to like lose my mind with my numbers. So that's been super helpful. But that in like many different forms. One thing I will say is removing yourself as the bottleneck as much as possible will allow you to scale super, super rapidly. That was one piece of advice that Russ gave me that I took to heart is don't be the person who does the stuff because you will consistently be the person, like do be the person who tests the process, but then get other people to come in and do it for you so that you can then move on to the next thing and oversee and make sure that you're fixing problems, that you're making things more efficient, that you have the time to do the, you know, the business owner thing and not the the worker bee things. So that's that was a huge piece of advice that I took to heart and it, it definitely allowed the scalability to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, this one kind of one question, I'm curious, how do you think about, um, I know as an entrepreneur, like you always, it's like, oh, reinvesting. But again, it's like at the end of the day, that means the less money I get to take home. So it's like, it can make this higher sooner to prepare for growth, but that I, or I could make more money by holding on to it longer. And how do you maybe think about that and, and kind of like wrestle with those kind of decisions at times? I think it just depends on like what you're trying to do. Like for me, I don't need, <laughs> bless you. Sorry, I've got Sarah here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can start that over. For me, like, I don't, I don't feel like we don't, I don't want this company to be a multi-billion dollar company. Like that wasn't what I set out to do. I, for me, it's very much about the people that not only we're serving as clients, but like our team, we've got 50 team members, most of them in the Philippines who are 
like they have a work-life balance. They're amazing people. Like we have relationships with them. Like that to me, if we can build relationships and help more people, like that's amazing. I don't need to have a billion dollar company at 20% net profit to feel like I've accomplished something. Like the fact that we've gotten this far is pretty awesome and I'll take it, you know? But as far as like reinvesting, like my the way that I've chosen to do it, because I would like to make money on this business. Like that's kind of the point for me. I want to get the boat and hang out on the lake and travel and all of the fun things. So it's kind of like, what's the point if I'm not able to live my life? What we'll do is every quarter, we'll pull the net profits, take the, pull those numbers and um, 25 to 30% of it goes into the next quarter, something that we want to reinvest in. Um, it may be like eventually down the road. I know this year we want to do a trip to the Philippines and actually do like a, um, like a conference with the team. So it may be longer. It may not just go into next quarter. It may go into figuring that out. Or it may be like initially when we signed up for HubSpot, we knew one quarter that, hey, the 30% is going to go into the onboarding with HubSpot and getting that dialed in. It's just knowing what we want to reinvest in. Some It's been ads. Like, let's just do a really hard push on Google and Facebook retargeting. And that was super helpful. And then we're able to test things too, which is cool and say, okay, we can actually start dumping money into this consistently. But we had funds that weren't coming out of our, um, our revenue for those next months to play or test with it. So there's always a chunk that goes into the next quarter. Um, but then after that, I'm like, let's, hi, this is what we're doing it for, right? We are not working to just have fun. <laughs> we're working to make some yeah, money yeah. too. So. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, as we um, get closer to wrapping up here, one of the, the questions that I always like to kind of end with is, you know, if you could go back, say five, 10 years in your entrepreneurial journey, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, that's tough. I I would definitely say take care of yourself a lot more. I definitely didn't at the beginning and hospital visits and stuff like that were the result of that. And making sure that you're taking care of yourself, you're like meditating and not like and actually checking in and not just working the 20 hours every single day. Like the work will be there. <laughs> you're going to be fine. Make sure you're taking time for yourself and your family. And I would have I would have definitely done a lot more of that at the beginning. I, I think I do it maybe a little too much now, but I'm making up for lost time. <laughs> so um, <laughs> but that's something that I, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs, especially earlier in their journey, get lost in is just putting their head down and doing the work and not seeing outside of those, you know, the blinders. So I would say definitely invest in yourself. Also, don't forget that you are existing, too, and you need nurturing and some work, too. I love that. That is a very great advice that I uh, I can relate in many ways as well. I early years I burned myself out too hard and had similar things. And at some point, you're just like, just slow and sustainable paces are much better than like burning out in flames. So, and, and that tends to actually produce better results too because you're clear headed and make better decisions. So, <laughs> it does. It totally. And all like ultimately, if you bring on help and you're paying for it, you may not be making as much dollar money, but you're gaining in other ways, like mental health wise, physical health wise to get, have time for yourself. So it's investing in yourself also while investing in a new business. Awesome. That is great to hear. Well, Shana, for anyone out there who wants to learn more about you or Repurpose House, you know, where's the best place to go to, to find you guys online? Yeah, it's repurposehouse.com. We have a ton of great like educational content there too. So we do courses. We've got tons of cool blog posts. We stay up to date on all the newest like social media trends, stuff like that. You can find me at Shana Weisinger on all the platforms. You're going to see a lot of puppy pictures and videos. So I don't know how much marketing advice you're going to get, but if you want that kind of stuff, go to Repurpose House. If you want big dogs and Jeeps, then you can hit up mine. Awesome. What kind of puppy do you have or dog? 
I have, they're not puppy. I, I act like they're puppies, but they're grown dogs. But I have a Ridgeback mix and he's the biggest baby mm. on the planet. They were like bred to hunt lions and he's terrified of plastic bags. So I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I have a Pitbull boxer mix and he's the sweetest, most docile animal on the planet. And he's just overduke in his shenanigans. So they're funny. That's awesome. Well, uh, I have to check out the Instagram there to see some dog pictures. Perfect. So <laughs> You will not be awesome. disappointed. Great. Shanda, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.